thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Today's the first message in the series of messages on the subject of more than a moment. More than a moment. We had a moment uh, last week, uh, or we celebrated a moment, a historic moment, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that was a moment, the most important moment in the church's history. And for every believer, without the resurrection, there'll be no life. So it certainly was a moment, but we want to emphasize that it's more than a moment. It's more than just that. I mean, that was the beginning of something that now we are engaged in. We are, we are involved in. So we want to start talking about that. We're going to use the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to start right there. And we're going to move through, Pastor Jason and myself, through a series of messages that talk about what transpired after the resurrection. How did the church grow? What was the emphasis of the church? What was the power that the church had? Uh, how were they directed? How did the Holy Spirit work? So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit that was invested in the church and all those things over the next couple of weeks. So you want to be here, okay? Each and every message, and we're going to talk more than a moment. Okay, we're going to talk about the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by a gentleman by the name of Luke. Now you might remember Luke because he also wrote another book which was called the Gospel of Luke, obviously. He was a physician, he was a very detailed person, so we have two letters that he had put together. This is part two of those letters, okay? So part one was the Gospel of Luke, and part two is the book of Acts. Now, Luke, in the Gospel itself, records what Jesus began to do. That's what the detailed report in the Gospel of Luke. You read through Luke, you find out what Jesus began to do, his birth, and then on from there into his ministry, and then death and burial and resurrection. So it's what he began to do. Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do and teach through the church. So Luke is what he did do while he was here, the book of Acts, and that's why it's called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. We'll talk about what the church has done since then and what it continues to do today. Jesus stayed 40 days after the resurrection. Why? He could have just as easily ascended into heaven one day later. So the question begs the question, why did he stay around? And I think that's brought us to us, and we'll read some of the verses in just a moment. But he had things to do. <laughs> Bottom line, there was uncompleted business, if you will, uh, not finished, unfinished business. Now, the resurrection was so important, it's so important to us, every believer and to the church, that it was absolutely essential that it needed infallible proof, infallible proof, undisputed proof of the resurrection. That couldn't have happened just in one day and then the ascension. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he began to move. And here's some of the things that he did. Here's some of the infallible proofs. He said, come, touch 
the wound in my side. Put your fingers in the wounds of my hand. Look, look at the wounds. In other words, this is proof that I was dead. It's the same Jesus, the one that was crucified, dead. Here are the marks of my death. And, but I'm alive today, so that, that's a proof. Here's another infallible proof. He ate with them. <laughs> so he actually took time, and he ate with them, and he conversed with them, had conversation with them. More infallible proofs. More infallible proof? He showed up at different locations. He was in Jerusalem one moment, and the next thing he was in the Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. That's a two-hour drive by car today, so it's quite a distance away. But in his glorified body, he could be in one place, disappear, and then show up in another place. That's how a glorified body is going to work. Okay, so infallible proof that he was there. So he ate, touched my body, he conversed with them, and he met them in different places. He met them in different places. So what he was building is actually a case, all right, so that the apostles could follow, the disciples could follow and say, listen, we know that Jesus raised from the dead. Why? Because you saw him one day? That could have been an emotional experience. That could have been a, a hangover from the night before or something like that. But no, it was 40 days, different people over and over again. So the proof was there that they could say, I saw him. Someone else would say, I ate with him. Someone else would say, I touched the wounds in the side. So the case was being built that the resurrection for sure was a fact. Now, there have been other people who raised from the dead. I don't know if you knew that. But during Jesus' ministry, several people were raised from the dead. One of the famous ones was Lazarus. He was raised from the dead. There actually have been people raised from the dead today. We hear reports on the mission field where people are literally raised from the dead. Someone had died and they prayed for them and they were raised from the dead again. So God is still doing miracles, signs and wonders following the preaching of the gospel. But here's the difference. Those who were dead and raised back again died anyway. So they're dead. The thing different with Jesus is he never died again. <laughs> he died, rose again to be alive forever. So that's the difference. The God that we serve is not a dead God. How many, how many are glad you don't serve a dead God? Most other religions, think about it. Most other religions serve a dead God. I mean, someone, what they do, memorialized by a tomb or, or something or a relic or something like that they worship. Why? Because those people are dead. And that's the best, that's the closest they can get to them. But with our God, he's alive. He's living. He talks with us. He eats with us. I mean, he converses with us. He leads us. He guides us. I mean, all of those things we have with our relationship. Now, if Jesus were dead and not alive, the church would be speechless. We'd have nothing to say. Paul goes on to say it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If, if in this life we only have hope, I mean, if, if this is it, if in this life we only have hope, there's no resurrection, there's no life after this, we're still miserable people. It's the resurrection that makes all the difference in the world. We talked about the resurrection life. Jesus alive, living and breathing, and we know him. So there was enough people that met him. There were enough people that saw him that there couldn't have been some kind of, uh, you know, deception that could have happened. Matter of fact, we're told there were at least 13 appearances recorded of Jesus showing up with the disciples. Now, 
Today, we're going to talk about what happened those moments or those days or that time when Jesus actually was raised from the dead, that 40-day period of time that they had, and then he ascended into heaven. Where do we go from there? That's what this series is all about. Where do we go from here? It's a great moment. Let's get excited about it. We celebrate everybody, dresses up really nice. We, we give good worship and praise to God, rightfully so. I mean, enjoyed last week's messages and all. Well, it just was just a tremendous time in the house of God. It should be that way. That's the way church ought to be. But again, we move on from here, and hopefully we keep our hearts stirred. Okay, let's look at... Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read some selective verses. I'm only going to go down to verse 11, and I won't read all the verses. But I, I want to look at verses 1 through 3. 1 through 3. Our topic is not only where do we go from here, but the first thing that we need to deal with, Jesus is coming again. So we're talking about it again. He's coming again. Not only was he here, but and you're going to find out why, we need to have this understanding first. So let's start here. This is our launching pad. This is the foundation where we go from here. And that is, based on this fact and this reality, Jesus is coming again. Say it with me. Jesus is coming again. I'm going to have you say it over and over again through this message because we need to keep that alive in our heart, that Jesus is coming again. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, Luke speaking here, the former account, in other words, the last book I wrote, O Theophilus, addressed to the same person, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. That's the ascension. And he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. There were some unfinished words that he needed to speak. And the words then were about the future. The words were about the kingdom of God. The words were about introducing that kingdom to all peoples of the world, letting them know there is a kingdom and the fact that Jesus is coming again. Verse 6 and 7 of the same chapter. Therefore, when they had come together, that's the disciples, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the season which the Father has put into his own authority. Now, this you know has been on the minds and the hearts of the disciples. When is he actually going to set up this kingdom? Because this is what they were taught. All of those years taught by their fathers, forefathers, prophets, teachers, whoever it might be, they were taught that there's coming a Messiah that's going to set up a kingdom, and he's going to reign, and he will, he will reign in that kingdom, and we're going to reign with him. So they were looking to this kingdom. You know, that's what they were saying. That's what they're looking for. Here's the part they missed, the church part. They missed the part where we come into the picture. They were looking to this kingdom being set up, but God had in mind, before this kingdom could be established on the earth, there had to be a time when all peoples had an opportunity to become part of what we know to be the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of the living, that serve the living God. 
those who have made a commitment to Jesus Christ as their Savior. That only could happen after his death, burial, and resurrection that we would give testimony of and it would become a reality in our life and now Jesus lives in us by the Spirit of God. You get that? So this had to take place. So, but they it's still on their mind. Hey, listen, if I were there, I would have the same thing. I mean, they're looking forward to this day at this moment when Israel's going to be head of the nations once again, like in the days of Solomon. They, they were going to be free from all oppressions of their enemies. Who would look forward to that? Who would look forward to the Messiah reigning right here on earth? But they were off in the timing a little bit. And that's why this verse now moves, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons. Now, let me say something about his coming. A lot of controversy around his coming. Is that right? We know he's coming, but the controversy is, is when is he coming? How is he coming? Uh, what's going to be taking place on this planet before he comes back? Are we involved in what's taking place? Who is the Antichrist? Who is the, you know, what is the tribulation? What are wars and rumors of war and all kind of lightnings and thunders and fire come down? How does all that fit into the picture? But because of that, there's been a lot of confusion. And quite frankly, let me be totally honest with you. I knew more about this subject 40 years ago than I do now. <laughs> I really thought I knew it all 40 years ago. I was convinced of a whole lot of things, but as you go through, you learn, you begin to tailor what you say, and, and the rough edges are kind of wore off. But, but, alive in my heart today is the reality that Jesus is coming. That has not left me. And I'm going to fight with everything that I have, and you ought to fight with everything you have. The devil, not steal that from your heart. Jesus is coming again. It's a reality. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. Now, I might not know all the details of it. I might not know how to explain it, but I know enough about it in his word to keep me stirred, to keep me living on the edge of my seat, to keep me every day thinking, could this be the day? Let me ask you this. Would this be a nice day for Jesus to come back? Yeah, it would be a nice day. Yes, a beautiful day it would be. So, but we're going to talk about this Jesus coming. Why? Because it was, it was such an important subject. 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about the second coming or the end times. 23 of the 27. 300 verses plus. One out of 30 verses talk about it. I mean, the subject has been kicked around, booted around, misused, misabused, and everything, but it's still a reality, and don't lose it. Here's what interesting poll that I came across. CNN did this poll, and they asked people, they said, do you believe in the literal return? I mean, that Jesus Christ is actually going to come back to this earth. 62% of the people said, I believe it. But now here's the weird thing. Only 40% of them follow Jesus. Well, the 22%, they're in limbo somewhere. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not all there. I mean, they actually believe he's coming, but they don't follow him. It doesn't make sense. But that's the world that we live in it. Verse 9 and 11 now. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, and there they are, let me tell you where they're at, they're on the Mount of Olives, that's on the mountain side that has an olive guard just east of the walls of Jerusalem. 
They're there while Jesus is talking to them. While they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. So get, get the picture. Jesus going up into the cloud. All of a sudden, the clouds cover him. But they're still gazing, and so would you. You're wondering, okay, he went up. Is he going to come back? Will he see him again? Or is he gone forever? Da, 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 all kind of questions in your mind. So the cloud received him out of his eye. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them with white apparel. There were two angels who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heaven? And then they go on to make an announcement which really, really begins to set the, the mind frame for, for how they're to be thinking from now on. This same Jesus was taken up from you him will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now a word is spoken here that I don't think we should skip over too quickly. That as they're gazing into heaven, it's almost like what they're saying is, okay, you've seen it. He was taken up. Now it's almost like go on with business, occupy, get busy, but don't lose sight that the same Jesus who was taken up is going to come back in like manner. So that's kind of the opening verses and puts it where it is. So let me give you five things that I think we should know about this whole subject of what Jesus talked about it. Number one, it's an obvious one, he will come again. Say it with me. He will come again. Undeniable. Jesus Christ is going to come again. I say this over and over again, but to me it's a reality. Just as surely as he came the first time, he will come the second time. Jesus will come again. Now, back in John chapter 14, just prior to him leaving, he said these words to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. So now we're getting a picture of what's happening while we're here and he's there. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Said it with me. I will come again and again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I put this alongside of my verse here. And you might think about writing this alongside of John chapter 14. It's the antidote for a troubled heart. Let not your heart be troubled. And he begins to talk to him about his return. Yes, he's gone for a while, but he's busy preparing a place. That ought to stir your heart. Jesus himself is preparing a place for you to live with him. He's going to come take you to himself. Listen, that ought to stir your heart. But, you know, through the troubles of life, through the challenges of life, through the cares of this world, through the disappointments of this world, through the hurts of life, through the pain of life, it's nice to know that it's not always going to be this way. Jesus is coming again. And that ought to be stirred in your heart. That is the antidote. That's what has been given to us. You know what the New Testament calls it? It's the blessed hope. That's our blessed hope. That's the hope that we hold dear to our hearts. It's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be unfair. It's not always going to be that people will be able to treat people in an unfair way. Justice is going to prevail. Something's going to happen and change things. And that is when Jesus Christ comes again. Now, Zechariah is interesting, written 
before the New Testament was written, 14 says this, the day of the Lord is coming, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Isn't it interesting that God and only God can speak to two different people at two different times in history and say the same thing to them? said Jesus is going to return in like manner to the Mount of Olives. Zachariah said he's going to return to the Mount of Olives and his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Literally, Jesus Christ is going to come back and stand there. The second thing we should know, he will come unexpectedly. We're not going to expect it. It's going to happen in a time when, uh, so when you think that, oh, well, it's all together, he's going to come tomorrow. No. Because you're expecting it. <laughs> Can you imagine what kind of chaos we would have if we actually knew when Jesus Christ were coming back? I mean, everybody would run up their credit cards. <laughs> oh, really, if you come back in six months, hey, let them take care of that. You know, it, all kind of chaos. We just, you, you see, there'd be no restrictions on our life. So there's a reason why Jesus hasn't made a public announcement and the Father has left it to himself to know the time and the hour when he's going to come back. Matthew chapter 25 verse 13. Key word, watch. Okay, he's coming unexpectedly. Watch therefore, for you do not know, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We don't know when he is coming, but we do know he's coming. Matthew chapter 24, the whole chapter which is written on the Mount of Olives again, during his last hours here on the planet, he talks all about his coming. Matthew 24, verse 42, 44 though, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour he is coming, for know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus Christ is coming when you least expect it. It's going to happen. He will come unexpectedly. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord comes as a what? A thief in the night. Just like a thief sneaks in. I mean, before you know it, boom, you're confronted. Matthew chapter 24 again says, but of that day and hour no one knows. Now notice something added here. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only but notice this, he gives us a little help here in understanding a little bit about the approximate setting when he does return. For as in the days before the flood, they are, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So think about Noah. What were the days of Noah like? Well, he was the one that announced that a flood is coming. He's the one that was proclaiming that soon it would come. Now, it was 120 years before it came. But he was the one announcing. We're told that he, during that time, was, he was a preacher of righteousness. Basically, he was just telling people to get their life right. Be ready. Turn your heart back or there's going to be judgment. There's going to be a flood. Same will be prior to him coming back. For as the days of the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage. Not necessarily bad things. We all eat, we all have to drink something. They were given in marriage, people were married, but it, it's, the, it's the attitude, it's, a, it's the prevailing atmosphere of, uh, things are just going on like they've always gone on. We don't have to worry about anything. The moment you begin to entertain that, you lose the watch. 
It could happen at any moment. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's just going to happen. And I tell you, God is giving us warning after warning after warning. Thirdly, he will come to get his church. He's coming again. He's coming unexpectedly, but he's coming to get his church. Now, this is important. I'll tell you how important it is. Jesus gave his life to birth the church. It was through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the outpouring of the Spirit that the church was birthed. It's called the Bride of Christ. It's called the Family of God. You, there are lots of names to the church. I'm not talking about building. I'm not talking about a structure. And I talk about signing on the dotted line. Nothing like that. It's that the only way you become part of the church is make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Once that happens, you move from dark to light. You move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So, in other words, something happens. You become part of the church, part of the bride of Christ. It's the called out ones. Church means called out. These people that got baptized, they were called out of their old life. They were called to walk in newness of life. They were called into a different way of thinking, a different way of approaching things. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So he's coming back for his church. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a beautiful verse. It says that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And let me give you a picture of this. Who are the dead in Christ? All those who have died over the last 2,000 years. Those who have made a commitment to Christ as a Savior become part of the church, but physically they died. Matter of fact, this was kind of a puzzling thing for the church in that first century. They didn't know what happened when people died. Paul explained it here. He said, there'll be people, they don't even call it death, they call it sleeping. So the body goes sleep. The spirit goes to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But the body goes to the grave to await a future time. So if you know someone's passed on, they're awaiting a future time called a resurrection. But it says here, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So there are gonna, actually going to be... now. I said this, not jokingly, wouldn't this be a good day for Jesus to come back? I mean it. Because we will be the ones that are alive when he comes back. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives you some bragging rights in eternity. It's kind of like, I was there. I mean, I was raptured. I mean, wow, what a thrill. You know, what a rush. I mean, there I was. The word caught up together means snatched away. One place to another location. It's the Greek word for snatched away. Physically taken from one location to another location. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. So at his coming, there's a gathering together of the church of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, and an important one, he will come back to Israel. When he comes back, he will come back to Israel. Why is this important? Well, first of all, he could have come back to any. He could have come back to Washington, D.C., Philadelphia. Thank God it wasn't Philly. You know, it couldn't Russia. No, 
specifically said that he's going to come back to the land of Israel. He's going to come back to Jerusalem. He's going to go to the Mount of Olives. That's who he's coming back. Why? Because Israel is in the plan of God for all eternity. And because of what God is doing with Israel, has given us an opportunity to be part of the church. Our inheritance comes through God's promise and covenant that he made to Israel. Now, some people will say, well, Israel, they're not really where they need to be today. But they will be. They will be. He's going to come back to the land of Israel. Let me tell how significant this is. I want you to just think in a very logical way. In the year 70 A.D., this is, Jesus was born, let's say, approximately around 1, 2, or 3 A.D., but he was born then. He lived 33 and a half years, so he's 33, 34 years old, okay, when he dies and he ascends into heaven, raises from the dead, ascends into heaven. 30 years later, just after Jesus predicted, Jerusalem was destroyed. And when it was destroyed, the Jewish people were dispersed throughout all of the world. They were no longer a nation. Now, think about this. And it wasn't until 1948, say 1948, 1948, 1948, that they came back into existence and became a nation among nations. Only the hand of God in a miraculous way. Why? It's God's visual aid to the world. I want to tell you how serious I am, God saying, listen, here's the reality of me coming. Here are certain things going to happen. One of the main things is that Israel is going to be back in its land. The Jewish people are going to be once again the people of God. The Hebrew language will be spoken again. One miracle after another to bring it to pass. And for us to deny that it happened with us to just, just visually say, listen, we didn't, we didn't see anything. No nothing. And yet it's happening right before our eyes. Jesus will come back to the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 11, a great chapter on the place of Israel in this end time. I do not desire your brethren to be ignorant, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Let's not have our own opinion in this. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until, say until, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there's a blindness has come on Israel and has been on them while God is dealing with the Gentile nations of the world, but there's a coming a day when it's called the fullness of the Gentile. In other words, God has done what he needs to do with the Gentile, and then Israel will be in the place and in its position again. And all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. All the, 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 the pieces are on the board right now for it all to come together. What a glorious time we're living in. Joel chapter 3, tell me if this isn't happening today. Tell me if this isn't exactly what we're facing today, what we read in our newspapers and we hear on our news. It says, Behold, in those days and at that time, speaking of the time that we're living in, you ought to read all of Joel to see that, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, that's the Jewish people, I'm going to bring back the captives. I will also gather all nations, bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, which means judgment. Valley of Judgment. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel. It's all over Israel. Whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided up my land. Isn't that exactly what has happened? They were scattered among the nations. They tried to divide up the land. And what are they doing today? The very exact thing is being mentioned here. They're trying to divide up God's land. They're trying to tell the Jewish people it doesn't belong to them. 
They're trying to tell them that the city of Jerusalem needs to be divided, needs to be a capital of two nations, and the Bible tells us quite clearly that Jerusalem will be eternally the capital of Israel. It will be. And it's important because, I'll give you, fast forward a little, Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. He's going to reign from Jerusalem. It has to be back in its place. Man, we are living in exciting days. So just to talk about Jesus' coming is one thing, but to be living prophecy, to see it in our newspapers and on our news, and we're living in that particular day when this is all happening. He's going to come back to Israel when all this disputing is going on. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 3 says, Thus saith the Lord, I will return to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. The Gospel of Luke chapter 21 says, And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until, say until. Until the fullness of or the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So that's where we are at right now. So he's coming back to Israel. Fifthly, and the last one, he will come to set up his kingdom. Jesus, so all that they long for, they kind of got ahead and jumped the gun a lot. They, 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 they got to Jesus and said, Jesus, are you going to do it now? Afterwards, are you going to do it now? He kept asking him, are you going to do it now? That's what they really believed. But it wasn't the time to do it. But he will set up his kingdom. Jeremiah chapter 23 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. That's King Jesus. And execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So there's a day coming when Jesus will set up his kingdom. Let me kind of go through this a little bit, this, this picture, kind of just expand on that a little bit. When Jesus Christ comes back, I, I ask this question. When Jesus Christ comes back, why not just go on to heaven? Now the Bible says that we don't go to heaven right away. The Bible says that we enter into a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. Jesus comes back, establishes his kingdom on this earth, ruling from Jerusalem. It's quite clear he's going to do. A thousand years. It's given a period of time. Why that thousand-year reign? Why not go directly to heaven? Turn to someone and say, that's a good question. Oh, come on. <laughs> Too tired to turn to the left? Turn to someone and say, that's a good question. It really is a good question. Let me try to answer it. <laughs> All right. Jesus comes back, and we're going to reign for a thousand years. I, I, I have not only my ideas, but I, I believe they're right. <laughs> but when Jesus comes back to reign, there's a reason for this. The Bible tells us about what's going to happen during that reign. That the world, the earth as we know it, is going to be restore, restored to what God originally intended for the earth. There's going to be a healing that's going to take place. Why? Because when sin entered the world, there's a curse that came on the earth. And that's when destruction began to take hold of the earth. And that's when the animal kingdom was disrupted and, and all the, 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 the things that were on the earth just went into a chaos state. 
I believe Jesus is going to establish and restore the earth to what he originally wanted it to be. I want you to get an example of what that's going to be like. In other words, the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. Literally, the lion and the lamb are going to play together. And it says that children are going to play where the snakes live. Really? They're going to play. Now, you're saying, I don't care what kingdom it is. I'm not going near a snake. No, it's, it's not going to be like you think it is. You've got to get that in mind. The children are going to be able to play where the snakes are living. In other words, there's a healing coming on the earth. There's something very dramatic that's going to happen. Why? Because Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. So the world's going to be restored. It's going to get restored to a healthy state again. Jesus, here's the, here's the next thing, which is the best thing. Jesus himself, the Son of God, with the nail prints in his hand and in his side and in his feet, will literally reign from Jerusalem. He will be visible during that thousand-year reign. He's going to reign from Jerusalem. And guess how he's going to reign? Here, here's the good part. No more elections. <laughs> Hallelujah. Huh? No more CNN, Fox News, saying this, saying that, and no, I can't vote for that person. No voting. Guess what? King Jesus will reign, undisputed King of kings and Lord of lords. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the way it's going to be. What he says, that's the way it's going to be. Now, we know what he says is fair. We know it's right. It's just. And every, Can you imagine living in a system that's just and fair? A system of integrity? A system that's so balanced out that, that, that people are at odds with one another? Things. I mean, what a beautiful place. The earth is going to be a beautiful place. Listen, I've enjoyed some beautiful spots on this planet. I've had the privilege to go on vacations and be places where it's gorgeous, you know. But listen, nothing compared to what it's going to be like during Jesus' reign. So beautiful will it be. Now, I'm going to tell this story because I haven't told it in a long time, but it needs to be told again. I remember uh, on a vacation one time. And I was just enjoying myself, and our family was enjoying herself. We were at one of those spots where it was in July. It was during our summer vacation. We're at the beach. We're staying right in a place right on the shore there. And while we're there, the day was beautiful, and the habit was you got up early, around 7, 8, or 8, and sitting around. And we had a patio off our place, and then was the ocean there. And I was sitting on the patio one day. I had my swim uh, trunks on, and that's all I had on. And I was sitting there, and I was just had a donut in my hand and a cup of coffee. And I looked up and I said, It doesn't get any better than this. And the moment I said that, a seagull flew over and pooped right on my head. <laughs> God is my witness. It happened that quick. I mean, my bald head, it hit, it went down my face, <laughs> onto the hair in my chest, and down. And there I was, stunned. And it was almost like I heard God laughing. No, no, no lie. I, it was almost like I heard it. It was like, uh, doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> you know you what? The lesson I learned out of that, no matter how good it gets in this world, someone's still going to poop on you. <laughs> that is the lesson I walked away with. <laughs> and God is my witness. Isn't that the truth? It, it just doesn't get good enough in this world. You know, it's going to disappoint you. But when Jesus Christ reigns, those seagulls aren't going to be around doing that. 
I'm going to tell you that right now. But it's so true. So the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is going to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're going to reign with him. Look at Revelation chapter 20. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Right? Literally going to reign with Christ for that thousand years. It's going to be a fantastic experience. All right. Since he is coming, let me give you three things. Since he is coming, look at this verse. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and view of his appearing. In other words, based on the fact that he is going to appear and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So with the idea that Jesus is going to, here's the charge I give you. I want to give you a charge. Three things. Number one, reach people. Since he is coming, what are we to do? Reach people. We're to reach more people to be baptized. Not just to be baptized, reach more people for Christ. We're to share the good news. What Christ has done for us, he can do for them. And God wants to build his, his church while he's here. So we're to reach people. Use every means possible. That's why we here at the church, we have a philosophy of ministry, is that everything we do, we want it to be a platform for people to come to Christ. Everything we do. If we're going to have a hallelujah celebration around Halloween time, it's going to be with the purpose of bringing people to Christ. If we're going to do an Easter play, it's not just going to be to entertain, it's to bring people to Christ. No matter what we do, we want to do it to give people an opportunity. We want to create a platform. What's the platform? For you to take advantage of what is happening so you can go out and get the people to come in. We're reaching people for Christ. That's what it's all about, folks. Jesus died for these people. Do you know if there were only one person alive when Jesus came, he would have died for them? Didn't have to be millions. One person he would have died for. That could have been you. He would have died for you because he loves you so much and he hates the devil so much. What the devil has done to people's lives were to reach people. Matthew chapter 28 says, make disciples of all nations. Luke chapter 14, 23, the master said to the servant, go out into the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. In other words, do everything within your means to make it possible for someone to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We're here today to learn, to be taught, to be discipled, to be strengthened, to go out, to do what? Reach people. That's not to be more successful or to be richer or more secure in your homes and retirement. No, that's not part of it. God does this to bless us so we can reach people. And that's what we need to be about, folks. We don't want to just be another social club to entertain people. We want to reach people for Christ. Mark chapter 16 says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Second of all, I charge you with this. Stay focused on eternity. Don't lose your focus. It is so easy to be distracted, folks. In our world, with all the options we have, with all the voices, it is so, so hard to stay focused. But I want to tell you, whether you're a young person an older person, stay focused on what? Eternity. Keep it in mind. Every day you go up, you should be thinking about this could be the day you enter into that eternal existence with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. While we do not look at the things which are seen, 
but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporary. The things in this world are temporary. Even the pleasures in this world are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal things. Think about eternal things. Even when it comes to spending our money. Sure, God wants us to have our needs met. Matter of fact, throwing pleasures there for us to enjoy, kind of the extra things that we have. But even the spending of our money should be with eternity in mind. What good am I doing with my money? What am I good am I doing with my talent? What am I doing with my time? Is eternity in my mind? Do I have an eternal purpose behind my existence? It needs to be eternal. Too much of it is temporary. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, I mean, if you actually are raised with Christ, a born-again believer, a follower of Jesus, then seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on things here or on this earth. That's a biggie, but we have to stay focused. Thirdly, and important, be ready. Let me ask you a question. Let me have your undivided attention. Can everyone look at me for a moment? Let me ask you. Are you ready? Yes. Good. You need to answer that question. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? Are you ready for him to come back? Are you excited about him coming back? I know, the only person I, the other day, the other, only person I find that's not excited is the guy who was getting married that day. He said, give me one more day. That's what he said, just give me one more day. I can understand his dilemma. But I also know what it means for Jesus Christ to come back, to be ready. Second Peter chapter 3, listen to these words. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed, in other words, if this is really going to happen to the earth, which is going to happen, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed His coming. How is someone ready for Jesus to return? First of all, if you made things right with God through Jesus Christ, you can't be ready if you, Jesus Christ is not your personal Savior. If you haven't committed your heart to Christ, if you haven't laid down your pride and all that goes with it and said, man, I, I've been living apart from God. I've sinned against God. Do you know the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death? There's a death sentence over your life if you don't know Christ. But God doesn't want it there. That's what all, all about Jesus came. He came to pay the debt. He came to die for you. So it's a free gift. It's not a membership. It's not earned. It's not by position or who you know. It's by what you do with your sin. God forgive me. And you know, God, he doesn't make it difficult. Although it's not easy to follow Jesus. I, I always want to say that. It doesn't mean it's easy to follow Jesus. But you have the Holy Spirit helping you. You have the Word of God to lead you. You have the church to encourage you. God has given us so many benefits of knowing Him. But that's important. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? And then for others, 
Are you living with that expectancy in your heart? If I want you to get anything out of this message, is keep expecting the return of Jesus. It's the antidote for a troubled heart, for pain, for tears, for disappointments, for discouragements, for, for people stabbing you in the back, for someone leaving you that you thought would be with you all your life. The antidote for that is that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to make all things right. He's going to put all things in order. Listen, the devil and darkness is getting away with nothing. It's all being laid up for judgment day. They're not getting away with anything. But if you know Jesus Christ, he's your Lord, your Savior, expect him to come back. Live with that expectation. Stir that in your heart. Don't let the devil rob it from you because it's our hope. Would you stand with me, please? We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.